Welcome to the Bedrock Way Podcast, where we're changing the habits of yesterday by creating the new healthcare reality of tomorrow. And Jonathan, do we have a treat today for the audience? On my way here to record this podcast episode, I was thinking about people in your life. And I was thinking about how when you connect with people or in life in general, there are three types of people, right? There are your friends, friends that you meet, and the more often you spend time with them, the closer you unite with that person. There's also acquaintances, people that you know, you see them from time to time, and you know you just know them, but you really don't know much about them. And then there's the, a, a third group of people, which is my guest today, where I align her, and is people who are your people. And one of my physician colleagues calls it your tribe. And my guest is part of my tribe. And I'll describe to you guys how your tribe, your people act, the difference between friends, acquaintances, and your tribe. When you meet someone who's part of your tribe, this individual, you can see them once a week, once a year, once a decade. But every time you see them, you're gravitate yourself towards that person is magnetic and it's and the interaction with that person jonathan is full of love zero drama and i'll tell you right now a tremendous amount of laughs i really feel that larissa in the time that i've known her has been my person my tribe and it's an amazing pleasure to have you here and larissa welcome to the bed broadway podcast Andre, thank you so much for having me, and I feel the same way about you. We've connected instantly from the moment we've met. I tell my wife, I tell you know Jonathan, you know this whole week. I'm like, I can't wait to uh, you know have the podcast with Larissa because not only is she brilliant, and not only is she has so much to offer, but you're such a good person. And every single time that you and I get together, we can't stop talking to each other. And it doesn't matter if it's about work. Doesn't matter if it's about our children. Doesn't matter if it's about our spouses. It doesn't matter if it's about our personal journey. It's always engaging. I always feel like, man, I'm better off every time we interact. And I love that. I completely agree. I, every time we get together, even if it's just for five minutes, we're getting something from one another. And I think that's the energy that we create together. Listen, I have my topics here. Oh, I can't wait. I can't. I don't know where, where, where to start sometimes uh, because I'm so excited. But I want to tell the audience the episode title. So today we brought Larissa and the title is Beyond the Stethoscope, A Glimpse into Tomorrow's Healthcare. And when you hear Larissa's background, you'll know how we have the perfect individual to tell us about the future of healthcare, not only as healthcare undergoes its metamorphosis, but as Atlantic care, you know, one of the most prominent healthcare systems in the region goes, maybe the most prominent, goes through their own metamorphosis, their own change. Larissa Goganzer is the Senior Vice President and Chief Hospital Executive at Atlantic Care Regional Medical Center, overseeing the operations at Atlantic Care City and Mainland Hospital campuses. It's a pretty important job there, Larissa. In her current role, Goganzer provides administrative oversight of Atlantic Care's medical centers, ensuring high levels of quality patient care through integrated clinical programs. As part of her role, 
She is currently overseeing the $75 million mainland expansion project. She was instrumental in the execution and completion of Atlanticare's $25 million health park in Manahawkin, New Jersey in 2017 and oversaw construction for 2015's $62.5 million mainland modernization project, which included a 30,000-square-foot addition to ARMC mainland campus. Additionally, Gogander played a key role in the 2011 opening of the $20.6 million Atlanticare Health Park in Hamilton, New Jersey. Larissa, you guys have a busy building. We have been very busy building. It's an important part of the infrastructure that we need to care for our patients. That's amazing. The nearly 39,000 square foot building at the park includes a satellite emergency department, a wound healing center location, and other services and medical office space. The first big project under her supervision was the 200,000 square foot George F. Lynn Harmony Pavilion at ARMC, Atlantic Regional Medical Center City Campus, including a new emergency center, trauma center, and patient tower in 2007. Goganser attained her Bachelor of Science in Nursing from Messiah College, Grantham, PA, and her Master of Science in Nursing from the University of Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, PA. Goganser began her career with Atlantic Care in 1991 as a staff nurse in labor and delivery at the mainland campus. Since then, she has held various leadership roles with maternal newborn department, including patient care manager, nurse case manager, clinical nurse specialist, and clinical director. She was also director at Hamilton Services and Special Projects, Atlanticare. Gogenzer's clinical background and expertise inform her work in expanding Atlanticare's facilities. I love, Larissa, that your background in the clinical aspect has given you that insight to not only take care of the clinical part, but also the real estate, the brick and mortar. That's important. When I look back on my 32-year career, going into my 33rd year this next year, the opportunities that, that I have had have been absolutely incredible. The fact that uh, you know I'm a nurse, by simplest terms, who helped build buildings, who helped create the future of what we're doing right now with healthcare. So, Larissa, tell me how you grew up. You know, how you became a nurse and how this is something that you, again, gravitated towards. Because I think you are the tip. The, if I would look up at a nurse in the dictionary, it would have your picture. Because you embody the whole aspect of it, which is, again, the beneficence, the taking care of others, the thinking of others. But also doing it in a way where you're happy and the person feels like, man, I got great clinical and customer service from my nurse. Well, I'm gonna, I owe this all to my parents. I think that your parents really shape who you are and, and what you're going to become. I think that at the end of the day, you know, my, my mom, who is a nurse, always wanted me to be a nurse and not that I necessarily had to follow in that in her footsteps but it was something that I naturally gravitated towards my father was a teacher and so those are two very community-based serving professions they had a remarkable impact on who I became as an individual not only that I was the oldest of, of my brothers and sisters so there's four of us all together and I have one sister 
who's three years younger than me. And then my youngest sister and my youngest brother are 10 years and 11 years younger than me. So there's a gap um, between that. And so I quickly became a caregiver to them because my mom was a nurse and she was working and my dad was teaching. So I now understand your pragmatic approach to everything you do, teacher and a nurse. So let's talk about changing gears a little bit about what's in the future for Larissa, which is what's in the future for Atlanticare. And I think one of the major aspects of our conversation, especially this time of year, is to talk about what's coming down the pipeline, right? Mm -hmm. Every executive has to perfect the vision, right? Being able to see the the problem before it occurs, being able to solve the problem before it occurs. So I have the top five trends for healthcare in 2024, and I want you to tell me how Atlanticare is preparing for these top trends. So the number one overarching, overwhelming trend for 2024 is the power of storytelling. Never before in healthcare have we needed to focus on videography, visuals, social media, pictures. But unfortunately, we sit in a world right now, Larissa, where the healthcare and physician relationship with its patient, its recipient, is at an all-time low. Mm. People don't trust the healthcare system. They're, they're constantly thinking that they're being either bamboozled from a clinical perspective or exploited from a financial perspective. So there's a huge need for us to use the power of storytelling in this visual-centric TikTok world where people are looking at social media for the news, not anywhere else. So how is Atlanticare looking to engage and embrace the power of storytelling because i'll tell you one thing right now the power of storytelling is extremely effective in humanizing the medical story which allows patients to see a story and have that be more relatable to that to them have them be more engaged and as a result we are able to create that trust back with our patients so how is Atlanticare doing that the number one trend in 2024 well michael charlton believes in that power of storytelling and so what he did is he went out and hired a chief marketing officer and that chief marketing officer is robin wyatt she joined us this past year and her background is very different she came and grew up through disney and so who doesn't tell a story better than disney and I'm going to tell you, Robin is going to change how Atlanticare tells their story. And we, we sit here every single day and we say, wow, there are so many companies, Larissa, who are not taking advantage of that, who are not see- if, you know, today is early December. If you don't have a plan as a healthcare company right now to jumpstart January 1st with a storytelling plan, my goodness, Atlanticare has Disney. Wow. If you don't have a plan, you're going to be caught way behind the eight ball. Absolutely. And we have already been investing this fall in strategic planning sessions and looking, like I said, for what that future is and that bold future. We're not just thinking about what do we need to do for next year, but what do we need to do for the next 
you know, six, seven, ten years. We're thinking that far ahead. Love that. One of my local community hospitals is thinking so strategically and is thinking so boldly because it, this is bold, yeah. right? This is bold. And the investment, right? The investment to invest in something that potentially two, three, four years ago might have been considered frivolous. Absolutely. Right? Well, yeah. CML. What do we need a CML? Right. Right? Now, no, no, no. We can't afford not to have one. Absolutely. Because we need to show our community what we have and they need to be able to connect to it. Oh, we always say that you can have the best services, but if nobody knows about them, then the services are worthless. Yeah. That's amazing. So the second trend that we're seeing in 2024 is telehealth and remote care, which is not going away. We thought that the pandemic would bring in as a flash in the pan, but people have noticed, especially our older adult population, that the convenience of a house call that's done through a computer or, or technology device allows them not to have to coordinate transportation, uh, bother their family member. And the statistics, Larissa, have, seen, have shown that we actually have better outcomes when patients have telehealth interactions with engaged physicians. So what is Alana Care doing to embrace the telehealth remote um, care aspect? One thing that we are seeing big time here is a need for chronic care continuous management. And as you may have noticed, we unveiled that medical specialty a couple uh, of weeks ago here at Bedrock. So what is Alana Care doing to stay ahead or I should say, stay um, within the the very disrupted aspect of chronic care management and technology. And I've always tell everybody who comes here, the future of medicine and healthcare is in the hands of those that can integrate technology and biology. How is Alana Care doing that? So when you talk about telehealth, telehealth, you're right, is here to stay. I think that the pandemic put us into light speed into what we needed to do to take care of, of our patients remotely. And does every patient embrace telehealth and want to see telehealth in, you know, in some aspect of their care? I would say yes. I, you know, there's, there's more and more patients are adopting it and are able to do that through the, the platforms that they have that are available to them. We always uh, are able to offer our primary care services you know, through telehealth, and we also are doing it through our mental health platforms. Wow, so listen, technology is, is very important to us. And I know that there are biometric devices that people think are technology, you know, pulse oximeter and blood pressure cuff and a scale, but those are not conducive or, or really consistent with our patients who, you know, amputees or our bariatric patients or patients who have cognitive impairment. Uh, we were, I know currently, Larissa, we're really looking at chronic care management closely because it's a very value-based way to provide care. On average, a chronic care management reimbursement a month is $200 versus a rehospitalization that's $18,000. So we're using wearables now uh, and we're triangulating even sensors that can create a hemodynamic response from a, a vital sign perspective of the patient. So a lot of technology is definitely, definitely here to stay. The third trend in healthcare is personalized medicine. And the fact that, you know, I always say that the medicine and healthcare always took the word practicing medicine a little too seriously. We don't practice medicine, we do medicine, mm. right? We do medicine. 
And in doing medicine, in 2023, we've seen really the prevalence. And quite frankly, I think another thing that's here to stay is genomics and the power behind biomarker research. What is that? That is when I am able to interpret my own lab work, my own ge genomic representation, my genes, how medications, how food, how everything metabolizes inside me and then allows my provider to tailor and customize the healthcare plan along the way. So I'm not treated as just everybody else. I'm treated as how Andre Gomez responds, you know, to either pharmacological intervention or nutraceutical intervention, right? So what is Atlanticare doing to stay again in line with that third trend in 2024? I think at the core of who we are as human beings is being known. We want to be known and we need to understand, you know, who we are intrinsically. And I think everything outside of healthcare has started to, to establish that. So if I'm on my phone, let's say, right, and I'm on Amazon, who knows me better than Amazon? They know all my trends, they know my buying habits, they know everything about me. Medicine needs to fall in line for how well Amazon knows me. We are taking the technology and what we know about medicine and now we're making it precise and personalized for that person. So you talk about genomics. This is absolutely transforming and changing cancer care. The fact that your exact tumor that you may have in your body and we know what medicine will treat that tumor that's specifically to you not just every other pancreatic cancer patient that exists or every other breast cancer patient that exists, but your specific type of tumor, your specific type of cancer can be individualized and that treatment plan can be individualized. And that's why I said to, to you earlier about the whole uh, practice in medicine as opposed to doing medicine. I totally agree. I think, per, I think historically, We've treated things like cancer with a grenade approach. We go in with a grenade, we blow things up, right? And unfortunately, sometimes the treatment is probably as damaging as the disease. And now with personalized medicine, we are seeing, we're, we're, we're really converting from a grenade effect to a Navy SEAL sharp shooting effect where we're going in, we're taking care of the problem with very little blood loss. And we're saving the host, we're saving the day, so to speak, and we're moving on. And I, I that's one of the things that I'm looking forward to 2024, that personalized aspect of medicine. Chronic care management is exactly personalized medicine. Let me talk about how we're taking that a step further. And I think that we can take technology and we can use it to our advantage. So we, in our lung nodule clinic, we're able to, sometimes let's say you're going into the emergency room and you get an x-ray because you have abdominal pain. Well, when you get that x-ray done, the chest is sometimes involved. And sometimes there's a little something that they're finding on that chest x-ray. Well, if you get that followed up in our lung nodule clinic, robotically, they're going to go in, look at that and see if there's, you know, if there's something that that's something to be concerned about or if that's something that needs treatment. And many times that necessarily would not have been done or taken place 
because we didn't necessarily have the technology and you know that precision medicine that we talked about to take care of that for that patient. What you're describing, Larissa, is what we call confident medicine. When physicians, clinicians leverage technology to practice confidently, not illness-driven parity healthcare that, quite frankly, is not value-based. So what you describe is exactly what we focus on on the our chronic care management mission is to empower our clinicians, but also our patients with the information that they need to take care of their own health. Well, wherever you are on that continuum. So we want to catch you early is really what every healthcare person who's working in healthcare wants to do. We want to use that preventative medicine to the best power we can. Right now, Larissa, to when you're talking about even the end stage of life, we are, our healthcare system is about $4 trillion. And we're spending 90% of our healthcare dollars in the last year of life. In the last 12 months, we're spending 90% of those $4 trillion. What does that tell you? That we're practicing defensively, illness-driven, lack of common sense medicine. That's why this personalized technology, telehealth, storytelling, trends, this is what gets me out of bed because it tells me, just like with Mark, Mike Charlton's vision, that there's a different way to do it and different might be better. Why are we afraid to do things differently when differently might be better? And that's okay. I think we're afraid to have those conversations. And when you talk about end of life, which is always a very difficult conversation to have, there's ways to do that. We have a palliative care program. We have very dedicated um, physician. Dr. Bullock is, is a wonderful physician that can guide families through end of life decisions and, and how to do that, even if you're afraid, even if you've never had that conversation within your own family. It's important to do and it's an important to plan for. And with that goes the fourth trend of 2024, which is mental health and the need for us to really invest in the well-being not only of our patients, but also our staff. And I'll tell you, mental health is deteriorating and is deteriorating highly in healthcare. In the past three years, we've seen mass exodus in healthcare. More physicians, more healthcare workers, 80,000 of your colleagues, Larissa, have left the industry just this year with 70,000 scheduled to leave next year. How do we stop that? Because they're leaving with the number one complaint of they're burnt out. Their mental health has plummeted. They, it's, a lot of them, has, it's cost them their marriage. It's cost them their kids. And for, unfortunately, a lot of them, it's costing them their life. Yeah. So how are we, how is Atlanticare equipping themselves to making sure that, again, as much as we're addressing the physical needs of our patients, that we're also not ignoring the mental health well-being and the importance of it. So first of all, that's a really overwhelming and I think uh, sad statistic that we have for the healthcare industry. And I think that each of us that are leaders in that need to step up and help fill that space. I think the fact that we are less, while we're more connected in ways in technology than we ever have before, as human beings, we're less connected than we ever have been. And we need to be able to bring back that connection 
for our workers. And one ways to do that is making sure that we have those right, you know, I'm sure everybody has wellness programs and, and things that we're doing for our employees, but we need to make sure that, you know, are we really truly connecting? Are we truly listening? Are we giving them things that are actually valuable to them and that they can use to help bring and to help them on that wellness journey that they're on? I agree with you, Larissa. I think we really need to just have the conversations. There's an overwhelming stat of how many veterans develop PTSD. Um, and again, a lot of our healthcare workers are developing the same PTSD, Kubler-Ross, you know, grieving uh, trauma since the pandemic. And my question was, why aren't people talking about it? And they're saying, because people don't want to show weakness. We are telling our men, right, our males that as the head of the household, you are not to show weakness. We're telling our military men, you are not to show weakness. And now we are telling a big portion of our females, you're not to show weakness. We have to just get comfortable talking about that. We always have, all of us have moments of weakness, myself included, but that's where you really grow your strength. You have to be able to give the avenues and the openness for your staff to talk about what those things are. And I think you also need to acknowledge it. Healthcare is hard. Taking care of patients is hard. There is nothing easy about what we do on any given day. There's, like I talked about earlier, there's highlights, there's, there's the ultimate joys, right, of saving a patient's life. And then there's the ultimate tragedy of a patient losing their life. And as a human, you're experiencing all of those emotions in any given day, plus everything that you have going on outside of your job. And what, you're bringing that all to work. What we do isn't glamorous. I, I agree. What we do isn't glamorous. And what we do is so selfless as healthcare practitioners, as healthcare workers, as healthcare entrepreneurs, because our jobs are 24-7. Our jobs never stop. But also, we have to have a, I think for us, a, a, a focus on the fact that we have to be able to take care of other people before we even take care of ourselves. And I think that mentality really needs to change in the fact that we all are going to need help, and it's just a matter of when. Yeah. You know. So are, are you guys, is Atlantic Care addressing these aspects i saw again another stat last week that the top two entities of mental health deterioration and suicide actually the top three are in the medical field surgeons physicians dentists police officers so what is a lot of care doing to you know really tackle that and hopefully proactively we need to talk about it we need to not hide from it. So we're talking about it. And then we're also making sure that we have those, like I talked about those wellness programs that people can connect to. But even more, we need to make sure that we are staying vigilant. We are looking out for the people who might need help. And how we do that is making sure that we have those conversations. Hey, are you okay? Is there anything that I can help you with and keep 
having those conversations are so important. It's not just about making sure like, okay, here's something, here's employee assistance and it's on a piece of paper, but it's recognizing when someone else might be in trouble and how you help them with that. The last trend, so that rounds up, rounds out our top five is the, and I think this goes in line, segues well, which is the, the need and the, you're gonna see more and more virtual care assistance. The technology aspects such as like Siri, companies are gonna get smart. You know, we've seen the magus of healthcare, Microsoft, Apple, Google, and Amazon, right? Microsoft, Apple, Google, Amazon. They've tried to disrupt healthcare and they haven't been very uh, successful. But one thing that I do see in 2024 is how applications on your phone can have can come equipped with a virtual care assistant that will tell you your story, your healthcare story. You know, your when your appointments are due, are due, when you proactively need to, you know, potentially have a health screening like you know, either if you're 50 years old, if you have to check your prostate, your colon, you know, have routine lab work, diagnostics, you know, mammograms for women, things like that, but also are able to grade your mental health. So virtual care assistants are something that are, are coming up in 2024. We are gonna unveil our own in 2024, which I'm very, very excited. Um, but how are you guys? I know you guys have a mental, uh, you guys have a portal that you guys yes. use and is the portal interactive is there a strategy or, or an initiative to enhance that portal to become more dynamic and engaging for the end users so again because that's true population health and that's true proactive healthcare. so the answer to that is yes we do have a portal and a way to connect with our patients i think that at the heart of what a portal is is it's a navigator it's a navigator for your health and we need to make sure that we have that navigation available, whether it's through IT systems or whether it's in person. Navigation in healthcare is absolutely at the core of what we do because healthcare is complex at the end of the day. The most complex industry in existence. Human capital management has probably become the most important aspect of a hospital executive, right? Because we can build any castle to take care of our patients. But if we don't have the workforce that is aligned with the mission to take care of our patients the right way, it becomes very difficult, right? But what are some of the things that Atlantic Care is doing to, again, align themselves with the expansion of sites, but also have the people that are trained, that are aligned with the culture, the mission, and the delivery of the services? Because I'll tell you right now, our narrative starts with our staff, right? That frontline staff, front staff that's interacting with the end user. So what are you doing right now to, again, cultivate that human capital to allow you guys to serve and accomplish your goals? Culture is very important, I think, to everything that you do as a leader. And in order to do that, you can't do that from your office. You can't do that from sitting in front of a computer. And so many of the past uh, things that we've done in the past few years, just because of what's happened in the pandemic, is that we've, we've relegated to having meetings just on Teams 
or sending emails or even texts that we're not necessarily connecting. It's so important to be visible and connecting with everybody and to look people in the eye and say, it's going to be okay. And the most important part is, I hear you. You need to come across as a genuine leader and then you need to take what people are saying to you and then you need to do something about it. Because a culture will make or break a company. A culture will make or break a marriage. And speaking of a marriage, on March 31st, 2020, Geisinger and Alanacare reached a mutual agreement to end their relationship. And it seems like the culture of the two organizations were just not good for each other. Talk to me about that. Well, when we entered into, and I'll start from the beginning because I think it's important to say why you know we wanted to have a partnership with Geisinger in the first place was to expand what we would need um, for our community and those capabilities. And we really felt that Geisinger was that right partner for us. I think quickly we found out that perhaps our, our two cultures didn't necessarily uh, intertwine in the way that we were looking for and also the fact that um, we wanted to make sure that the services that we had where we were investing back into our community and was the investment that Geisinger was going to give us invest the dollars in our community and we wanted to make sure that it, at, at the end of everything that we do at Atlantic Care, it's taking care of our community. But we Larissa, need to wasn't take care that of those people? But I just don't understand. I'm sorry to uh, cut you up, but wasn't that understood in the due diligence phase? It just it just sounds to me so irresponsible uh, in the conversation that that wasn't something that was vetted. You know, when you're talking about the community impact, that should be rudimentary in a relationship, especially when you have a healthcare system that doesn't know Atlantic county doesn't know the area so how is something so basic uncovered after the fact i think that what happens is, is that once it's like a marriage you know once you get into it you think you're great partners you look at each other for face value and you're thinking okay yeah we can we can make this work i think that there's plenty of examples all over industry where you get into it you start getting down and like let's really do the work together and then you find perhaps that there's irreconcilable differences that occur. In, in your dissolution this, this from um, Geisinger, it was done in a way where it maintained the integrity of both parties. Absolutely. It was very amicable, and we felt that it was best that if we just take care of uh, our communities and that we can you know, release each other from that involvement. And, and then how has that changed the executive um, dynamic over Atlantic Care, you know, I'm sure there were a lot of people who were pro this relationship and people who, you know, uh, probably may have had um, the Monday morning quarterback aspect of I told you so, or maybe maybe it was a collective agreement. How how did this uh, shake the boardroom over Atlantic Care? It didn't. I mean, this was really a non-event. Everyone was on the same page as far as what we needed to do. When you keep the community at the core of why you're doing what you're doing, it really did not create any kind of ripple effect. And listen, I always say adversity. Adversity is what we all need to grow. Yeah. Adversity is what really changes us for the better. Adversity, if you manage it correctly, you're actually come out stronger on the other side. 
Absolutely, and I think all of our all of our discussions and our strategic planning that we've been working out is really focused on making sure that we are the best that we can be for our community moving on. That's great. So if I can paraphrase it for our audience, um, Atlantic Care looked to unite and merge with a very large healthcare system out of Pennsylvania called Geisinger. Uh, the relationship went on. I don't know how long the relationship went on. A few years. A few years. And then you guys actually self-reflected and rather than become complacent and accept something that just didn't feel right, you guys took the initiative to say, you know what, we may need to go our opposite ways because we don't want to compromise the integrity of what we worked so hard, what you worked for three decades and longer to protect and uphold. And I give you a lot of respect for that and a lot Thank of credit you. for that. Thank you. Because some, some, sometimes those... Those decisions are not done, not undone as easily. And I think you guys did it with class. I'd like to give the credit to Michael Charlton, who's now our CEO and president of Atlanta Care, and at the time was our board president. And that was, the, that was one of the bold moves um, that he took on as board president of saying that we needed to make sure that what we needed was investing in our community. I'm glad you brought Mike Charlton into the conversation because he was a, a topic that I wanted to address. And I look forward to meeting Mike Charlton uh, formally. I know uh, I met him um, in passing at the Atlantic Care Gala, but he's someone who has become a controversial leadership for you guys, at least in the, in the, in the industry, right? He is non-healthcare um, and he took the, has taken the helm after Lori Herndon was part of the healthcare system for 40 years and was the CEO for, I want to say, more than 10 years, right? Yes. yes. So, um, again, you don't have to give me specifics, but why did that change occur, and how has that change affected the short term, but more importantly, how, how would it affect the long term of Atlantic Care? Because that's a massive move. It's a massive move. Anytime you move the top leader of a company, it, it could be very transfer traumatic, right? And it could be for good or not. Not that Lori was not doing a good job, but sometimes just the change in person. I always call it is, is separation anxiety. I always call it the divorced parents. You know, you can put a child somewhere else and just the difference in family makes that child change for the good or for the worse. Tell me about that change because that really after, again, for you being in, in, in healthcare for so long, Atlanticare has completely re, redefined their leadership. Is that something that concerns you or not? Absolutely does not concern me. Um, when Lori announced her retirement, <clears throat> Michael stepped in uh, as the interim or was appointed as the interim CEO and president and has hit the ground running. Uh, I think that he has set a bold vision for our future and where we need to go. As, as a healthcare system. He's actually coined it Vision 2030. 2030, so, so tell me about that vision. That, that's, so that's amazing. I, and I want him to be able to release that and to tell everyone about that so that you'll see that in the, you know, in the upcoming days. But he is actually taking healthcare and not thinking about like what's happening today, but what's going to happen years from now. That's, that's amazing. And, and tell, I'll tell you, the, one of the things we talk about in these walls um, Larissa is the future of healthcare, and I always tell everybody, the best days of healthcare are ahead of us. And it seems like Mark, Michael Charlton, and it seems like Atlantic Care 
feels the same way because I 100% agree that the pandemic, not to go into the pandemic, because I think we've done that enough, change healthcare outlook permanently. And those who are paying attention will leave from the front, and those who are not will not be in healthcare. Because I, I, I quite frankly believe that we're gonna see a tremendous amount of attrition with healthcare companies because the inability for them to evolve, they will become casualties of the evolution of a very complex, probably the most complex industry that exists, which is healthcare. So tell me about the, not to go into specifics on, on Vision 2030, but the upcoming Atlantic Care changes. And listen, you've been part of the system for 30 years, for 30 years. Maybe tell me the top three things that you have seen change since you started and where you are now, and perhaps give insight and context into even the changes that you're seeing along the way. Because change is the epitome of improvement because we'll never be perfect. Absolutely, and we can't stay where we were. We have to always think ahead. And I think that what Michael brings to the table is he hasn't necessarily had all of that um, history or, or complexity that, that happens in healthcare to weigh him down. He's able to break free from that and be bold and to reimagine what we need to be as, as a healthcare leader and as a healthcare giver um, in the community. And I'll tell you, the people who are gonna disrupt healthcare are gonna come from the outside. Absolutely. I think we have a long-term, almost stubbornness about us in healthcare. I think most of us who are healthcare practitioners and healthcare executives, you know, we tend to say to ourselves, you know what, we're doing it, we're doing well, and we're going to continue to do it like this. But sometimes you need disruptors. Sometimes you need contrarians. Sometimes you need a rebel who comes along the way and says, "Stop! There's another way for us to do it." A lot of industries have been redefined by rebels, right? the technology industry, Apple, Microsoft, the retail industry, Amazon, you know, the pharmacy industry, CVS and Walgreens, they continue to redefine. What is Atlanticare looking to redefine in the respect of hospital care? Because again, that is an area to me that is prime for the taking, but it's also a very expensive venture if you do it wrong, right? So tell me how you guys are seeing yourselves as the disruptors, again, and you're doing it with a leader who is a rebel, a leader who, like you said, is not weighed down by the, you know, um, the same kick the can down the road mentality and using the seven words that are the most dangerous words in any industry. And those are, this is how we've always done it. So tell me about that. So what Michael wants us to do, I think, is think boldly about where we need to go and not just think about it in the confines of just what you said, of how we've always done it, but to reimagine how we've done that and make the experience remarkable. So coming from hospitality in the background that Michael has, he wants to make sure that, that those two things are almost aligned that we are, are, are seeing ourselves as being hospitable. We are in the giving 
industry and business and that we can make sure that the experience that our patients have throughout the system, wherever you touch Atlanticare, is one that is remarkable. Tell me, if you could go back to the 18-year-old Larissa Gilganzer and tell her anything you wanted, what would that be? I would tell her, don't let your constructive times define you. There is always going to be the next day and the next day that's going to come. And everything in the end will work itself out eventually. There's always going to be that next step that you can take. Don't necessarily, again, I talked about living in the, or not looking in the rearview mirror. Always be looking ahead. Always be focused on what things that you can do to improve the future. It's so um, evident that when we are 18 years old, everything is so terminal. Right? We have the rest of our lives ahead of us, but everything almost seems terminal, right? Yeah. I have a 17-year-old son, and he's trying to figure out what he wants to do, what he wants to be, and what he wants his college major to be. I said, just pick anything, because did I think as a nurse that I would be overseeing two hospitals? No. I never dreamed that in my wildest dreams. Did I ever think that, that, that this is where being a nurse would take me? It's, it's amazing, you just, but you have to be able to take those steps. Don't be afraid to take those steps. Think outside the box and take those, take those steps that you think are, are a little bit scary, a little bit not as sure. Take those steps. You know, people tend to think, if I'm a nurse, I'll never have that opportunity. Yeah. But being a nurse gave you those opportunities. Being a nurse, I would say, and there's there are so many people who are saying, I'm not gonna go into the nursing profession. Healthcare is not where I need to be, and we have less people that are going into nursing as possible. Nursing is, is not just what you think it is. Nursing can open doors to everything that you can even imagine. It's an amazing profession. So let me ask you, if you can go back and do it all over again, and nursing wasn't an option for you, what professional path would you choose? Wow, Andre, that's such a great question. I can't imagine doing anything other than nursing. I would probably choose being a teacher. <laughs> Absolutely, because I think that they go hand in hand. But I, I know that I was born to impact the lives of others. And so whatever profession gets me to that is what I would probably see myself doing. And I agree. I think, listen, there are a lot of people who never find purpose in what they do. I always said to myself, you know, find something that you're good at and that you enjoy and the money will come. Yeah. You have to enjoy what you're doing. Are you having fun today? One of uh, the former leaders that I had just would ask me, you know, are you having fun today? I love and that. And to find the fun, you always have to find that positive aspect in your day. So on that note, what makes you happy? My family and my children make me happy and also just being able to impact others on a daily basis. It really is what brings me joy. And I can see it. I can see it. Um, Larissa, people are put on this earth, I think, for the purpose. And we talk about this all the time. We talk about this all the time here at the podcast. And I don't get tired of saying it that, you know, the most important day or days in your life are, you know, when you're born and then the day where you figure out why. And a lot of people don't have that privilege to find out their purpose, you know, what gives them value, the mission in life. 
which is quite frankly what makes you happy, you know, and what provides that day to day ability to, like you said, take the constructive uh, days as formative, not as destructive. And you're someone who embodies that. I think Atlantic Care is blessed and lucky to have someone like you, not only leading their hospitals, but leading their mission. You know, you are such a great reflection of their culture. You're such a great catalyst. I mentioned people like you have that pixie dust that everything you touch is better. And one of the biggest missions for us here is the overarching mission is to leave healthcare better than we entered it. And I truly, truly believe that you will help people like us and the industry to leave healthcare better than you entered it. But I'll tell you right now, you are going to leave Atlantic Care a lot better than you entered it. I give you tremendous, tremendous, tremendous kudos for everything you've done for Atlantic Care, everything you've done for the community, everything you've done for anyone that you touch, and everything you'll do for the people you will touch. I don't think Larissa is done building her legacy in healthcare. And for that, I think we're all very excited. Last question I have for you is, what is next for Larissa? What's next for Larissa is building upon the things that I've done so far, but you know, in the end, it's not about me. And I mean that genuinely. What I want to do is make sure that I'm doing what makes people better. I love that you use the word building because as somebody who has presided over so much construction at Atlantic Care, I think you use the right word. You are ready to continue to build. And hopefully that future infrastructure that you build will be aligned with our good friend, Craig Hall from P. Agnes. But when you build yourself, you won't need Craig. So maybe you don't, we don't need him. Larissa, we can show them that snippet. <laughs> right. Larissa, it's been an absolute pleasure. And we are changing the habits of yesterday by creating the new healthcare reality of tomorrow. Thank you so much. Thank you.